You're listening to an audio sermon by Pastor Bernard Mulder from Household of Christ. We trust that you will be encouraged and blessed as you listen to the Word of God. So last week I started and I started sharing on a message entitled Training for Reigning. That what God is busy with in your life is busy training you so that you can reign with Him one day. Amen? And if you're going to reign with God, you'll need godly character. You'll have to be able to do things the way that God does it. So he allows a lot of things here on earth to happen to you that you sometimes get frustrated with, annoyed with, and you think, what's going on? But it's all just part of your training so you can get ready. And we said that you should appreciate the process that you are going through and value the process more than the end result. Everything that God does in your life is in a specific time and season. It's there for a reason. So there's a time and a season for everything in your life. And as a Christian, then you know God is in control of your life. If you knew the time and season that you find yourself in, you'll be relaxed, you'll be at peace. And you'll know that God is in control of your life. If you look at the Bible, the sons of Issachar, one of the tribes, the Bible says they had understanding of times and seasons. To know what Israel should do. Now Israel is a type of the church. So they knew what time and season Israel found themselves in. To say to them, okay, relax. Don't get worried or don't start to panic. God is busy with a certain time and season in your life. And if you knew what time and season God was busy with in your life, you'll be relaxed. When you're young, you're at school, it's your time to study. God busy building discipline into your life. And if you know that time and season, you'll be at peace. A very good example from my own personal life is when I got married, and I think most of you know that I married a pastor's daughter, and by that time I knew the calling of God was upon my life. And that God had said, I'm going to have a church one day. And I was excited about that. It's like I had a vision of where to go. And when I got married to a pastor's daughter and she can sing and I cannot sing, I think, thank you, Jesus, when do we start a church? You were young, you've done exactly the same. But when I prayed and I said, God, when will we have our own church? When will we start our own church? The Lord said to me, you have to wait 10 years. I said, okay, Lord, thank you. I'll wait 10 years. Because if I had started a church then, I would have destroyed myself most likely, destroyed my marriage and the congregation. So God's time is the best. But there I realized when God said 10 years, I took it into my heart that God, obviously there's a lot of things in my life that's going to work with 10 year seasons. Who of you would like to have 10-year seasons in your life? Anybody, raise your hand. You'd like to, you you want the spirit of the leader to come upon you for 10-year cycles. Nobody wants to wait 10 years. Well, okay, let me give you this testimony. How many things happened in 10 years in my life? Would you like to hear some more things that took 10 years? So we got married in 1994. And we started the church in 2003. That's 10 years. 
When I went into ministry the first time was 1997. And it's the first time I got exposed to some material about the prophet T.B. Joshua. And I said, Lord, I'd like to go there. It took me 10 years before I went there the first time. I went there in 2006. And the last two times before I actually went, when I applied, I was approved. But I didn't have money to go. So I had to face that disappointment. So I went in October 2006, I went there the first time. Would you like to know how long it took before the prophet prophesied over me publicly the first time? Ten years. Am I helping some of you here this morning? Let me tell you the secret. Although I went there and everybody was looking for a prophetic word. A matter of fact, the first time I met him, because in those days you could go into the office. Everybody before me that went in to see him, when they came out, they had smiles on their faces, they had received the word. He said, I got this word, I got this word, I'm so happy. When I went in, he didn't even look at me. He was looking at the TV. And I was thinking in my heart, but God, for 10 years I've waited. <laughs> 10 years I've been praying. And now I'm sitting in front of the man of God, and he's ignoring me. Is he a man of God? <laughs> I didn't say that in my heart. Let me just say that. I was sitting there and I'm thinking, God, I know what you showed me. And I'm not going to let anything waver me or move me. And when I walked out, I remembered the words that he said. He said, any relationship that must grow to become strong must start weak. I went into the bookshop. I bought every MPG that I could. You know those small little books with the sermons? I bought every one that I could. I said, for those 10 years, and even now, every time I read it, I said, I'm taking this as a personal prophetic word that the man of God is giving it to me. Because it's a sermon that comes from him, and I take it as a word from him. I'm going to align my life according to this word. Many of you have not finished your race strong because you've picked up another brother's offense. And I've learned just to be patient. Many of us want to jump the gun. Look at what God is doing now. How our lives have changed just because we've been patient. Many people jump the gun. Just think about the race. If you're in a race, if you jump the gun... What happens? You get called back to the start. And you have to start all over again. When we're in a hurry, we make mistakes. You can think about rugby or soccer. If those guys are desperate to score a goal, they're more likely to make more faults, more mistakes. When guys are desperate to score a try, a rugby try, they just pass the ball and they pass it forward or they pass it into the wrong person's hand. This is life. Enjoy the process. What God is busy with right now is to develop you and bring you to a place so that his name can be glorified in you and through you. Paul said of one person in his entire ministry, 
Philippians 2 verse 20, he says, I've got nobody like-minded who will naturally care for your state, but my son Timothy. For you know his proven character. His character has been put to the test. He will go to you and love you and care for you naturally. Because Christ's character has been formed on the inside. There are so many gifted people today. But their gift exceeds their character. When your gift exceeds your character, you're an accident waiting to happen. Just because you're gifted and talented and can quote the Bible and know scriptures does not mean it's your time to start to preach. You have to wait for God's time. Jesus was 12 years old. He kept the Sadducees and Pharisees in the church busy for three days. Let me put it to you in today's terms. He had a pastor's conference when he was 12 years old and preached to pastors and bishops for three days and he actually had something to say to them. And they were listening to him. He could quote the whole Torah from beginning to end, every scripture. He knew the Bible, but God only released him at the age of 30 to start with his ministry. Where everybody at the age of 12 would have said, you're so gifted, you're so talented, you know the word so well, you quote the scripture so nice. God said it's not about the gift, it's about your character. To get your character ready. It was not his time and season. He still had to go through some suffering, some difficulties for his character to be developed. Good character comes from a good heart. Bad character comes from a bad heart. Turn with me in your Bibles to Habakkuk 2, please. Ecclesiastes teaches us that God makes everything beautiful in its time. Many times we're in too much of a hurry. You know, I've never ever had a mother that's pregnant come and stand here in the front and say to me, Pastor, I'm five months pregnant. I cannot wait any longer for this baby. Can you pray that I will deliver the baby next week? I've never had that. Never ever. <laughs> they say, please pray that at the right time the baby will come. That it will be a safe delivery. But they never say at three months or at four months because they know how dangerous it is. But in the church, we have a vision. And we've not gone through the process. And we don't know how much trouble, hurt, harm will cause if we're not prepared to wait. If I had not waited those ten years, and I thank God just for the grace that I actually waited. I was thinking, what made me wait? And I think it was just, that word was just so real in my heart that I said, I knew that if I do it now, I'm going to be disqualified. Habakkuk 2, verse 2. Then the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain on tablets, that he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come, it will not tarry. You know, when the Bible says narrow is the way, he's talking about your calling as well. That which God wants to do in your life. 
There's a broad way that's easy, that everybody walks on. But to walk on that narrow way, that path of righteousness, be true to your calling, understand the time and season. I sit with so many people, and the church is confused about what to do and not to do. Not understanding times and seasons. Men of God comparing themselves with other men of God. You must know that when you're ministering, number one, the person that you are ministering to is God. And because you are ministering to God, His Word, His truth, spirit and life, that which you are ministering to Him is a blessing to God's people. If I know that, it doesn't matter if there's two people sitting here or 20,000 people sitting here. I'll minister with the same fervency because I know heaven hears what I'm saying right now. But many people just want to preach to crowds. I have no desire to go preach anywhere else but in the church here. I'll be honest with you. How often do you see me away preaching at other places? This year, I've not preached anywhere. I've given a commitment to Pastor Labona and Lesotho and that's all. And I might not even be able to go because a lot of things happening now in the next two weeks will have other commitments where my attention is required. But I don't want to go anywhere else. Because my heart is here. I'm a shepherd. I want to make sure that you are okay. You are the people that God has said, be accountable to. If God releases me to more, you'll have peace as well. Look like shocked. No, when you're a pastor and you've got something to say, you must go everywhere. No. You must do what God has called you to do. Not do what other men of God are busy doing. I know my vision. What God has given me. Know your vision. Even though it tarry, it doesn't mean it's not of God. Yeah, it's 14 years since we started the church. Now we're building the church. Now things are falling in place and working out. My wife said something to me that, you know, she was in Lagos now for a week. One of the things she wrote down is, your struggles make your journey beautiful. Your struggles make your journey beautiful. Because it's usually in those struggles that you draw closer to God. It's those very things that form your character where you decide, will I become bitter or will I become better? And when you choose righteousness to become better, it makes everything beautiful. Think about Joseph. Joseph was the man. He had the special room in his father's house. He got the special jacket. And then he had the vision that he shared and he said, can I tell you what my journey is going to look like in the future? I see all of you, my brothers, bowing down before me. Not only you, my brothers, but mama and papa, you too. He was safe in his father's house. It was the pit. That bad encounter with his brothers that took him to Egypt. Where he was trained got to know new languages from there he was placed in the prison in prison his character was shaped to be ready to be a ruler and to do what he had to do remember when people are hungry and desperate 
everybody will come. Even the crooks. Not only the good guys. The bad guys. The thugs will come as well. So while he was in prison, he knew thugs. That time became a blessing. Where did David write his character test? Was it the day that he faced Goliath? No. He wrote the test when he faced the bear and the lion. Where did Daniel write his character test? In the day he went into the lion's den? No. It was before that when he had a habit to say thank you Jesus. Where did Joseph write his character test in prison? From a natural point of view, nobody would see him, nobody would know what he was doing. He's with criminals. But it was there where he demonstrated character and excellence. When God is with you, even when you find yourself in a prison or in the pit, you'll see God's mercy there, God's favor. They still demonstrate the spirit of excellence. Genesis 39, verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy, and he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Verse 23. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority, because the Lord was with him, and whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. So even in the pit, in the prison, God was with him. God knows what's the best for you. You know what was the thing with Joseph? He was very close to his dad. Very comfortable. It was almost like God had to disconnect him from his father for him to reach his full potential. Your position of comfort can sometimes be keeping you back. David. Look at his whole life. It was the lion that prepared him for Goliath. It was Goliath that prepared him for Saul. It was Saul that prepared him to be a king. We write tests every day. We don't determine and decide what we go through, but you can decide how you go through it, what your attitude would be in that thing. And God is busy with the place. Joseph had to be disciplined. He had to be molded. He was an arrogant young boy. You know, if he didn't go through that, imagine what would have happened if God took him directly to be a ruler. If his brothers appeared before him as the most powerful man in the country, he would have killed him. Why are we not seeing a lot of the power of God in ministries? Because we have to ask ourselves the question, can God trust you with that kind of a power to heal and to deliver, to bring breakthrough? If you had the authority and the grace to call down fire from heaven and your enemies made you angry, what would you say? Do you know I can call fire from heaven? You want to try that one more time? Can you see why God is still busy processing some of us? Because this planet would be empty. Amen? If God had to respond in that way, what would be left? But God loved this world so much that He sent Jesus to bring a solution. You know, when you read the Bible, just take it as if, if God is speaking to you directly. 
David says here in Psalm 18, The Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands. He has recompensed me, for I have kept the ways of the Lord, and I have not wickedly departed from my God. And the Lord said to me, If they are planting seeds of unrighteousness, you continue to plant seeds of righteousness. If you continue to plant seeds of righteousness in your processing, you can only have a harvest of righteousness. But many of us are sitting in a situation where we've been dealt with in an unrighteous way. And we started to fight fire with fire expecting water instead of just trusting God. No matter the lie, truth will eventually overtake it. No matter the lie, the slandering, the things that have been said, truth will overtake it. Family, God's purpose is always greater than our dream and our vision. God's purpose is always greater than that. Wait for the right time. What would have happened if Jesus had gone on at the age of 12? It was not his time. It would have destroyed him. It would have taken him to a place where he was not supposed to be. Turn with me to Genesis 45 verse 8. I want you to underline this. While you're on this journey, whether you are crying, whether you're going through pain and suffering, God is still in control. For gold to be gold, it must go through fire. The enemy is not in control of your life. God is in control of your life. Look here what Joseph said to his brothers. Genesis 45 verse 8. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he, was made, he has made me a father of Pharaoh and lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Family, if he had not gone through that processing of developing his character, he would have killed his brothers. But he said, don't you come and say, you were in control of my life. God was in control of my life. God allowed this to take me from where I am to where God wanted me to be. I'm saying thank you, Jesus. It was not your doing. The greatest gift that God gives us is salvation. The greatest gift that God gives us is righteousness. Let's walk in righteousness in everything that we do. Everything that's not of God, let's work it out. And everything that's of God, let's get it into our lives. Abraham, Sarah, you can name them. They all went through a time of processing. Paul. Paul didn't have an ex, uh, a prophetic word that says, please stand gentlemen, I can see you're going to be a great apostle. You're going to be used with signs, wonders and miracles. You're going to write two thirds of the New Testament. No, the word was, go tell him what he is going to suffer for the gospel. Tell him to get to that place where he must be. There's going to be a lot of processing. That's how they prophesied in the Bible. Today they prophesy differently. If you value the process, if you know the process that you will have to go through, you'll not focus on the results so much. God's purpose is greater than your vision, than your calling. For God to take you from where you are to where he wants you to be, he has to deal with your character. So
So are you ready for God to deal with your character? Are you sure? Because the first thing he wants to do, if he wants to deal with your character, he's going to melt you. He has to take that which is precious and he has to melt it. He has to make it hot so he can get all the impurities out. It's the most difficult thing to do. Because you want to be you. The Bible says, unless a seed falls into the ground and dies, you have to die to yourself. Our selfish, rebellious nature resists that with everything. God says, I want to deal with it. Because in this stage, we put our trust in man. Remember the man at the gate beautiful. How many times did Jesus not walk past him? The man at the pool of Bethesda had his trust in people. Can somebody just pick me up and put me in the water? No, sure, my brother, I'll put you in. I see you've been waiting here for a long time. And as soon as the angel stirred the water, what did they do? They jumped into the water, say thank you very much, and they left. In that stage of melting, you'll realize you cannot trust people. People will leave very quickly. I've seen them come and go everywhere. Pastor, I'm here. I'm planted. I'm committed. I'm the new pillar in the house. I'm your number one best tither. I'm everything. You see them one week, the next week they're gone. If they start making commitments like that, to me, I'm very concerned. I don't take it to heart. I'm honest with you. But when they make that kind of a commitment to God, they don't even have to tell me anything. I'll just feel their support. Wherever I go, they'll just feel This is a time of stripping. It's a time of God dealing with your character. In this first phase, you are still at a place where you're saying, Remember, Lord, I'm Joseph. Remember, Lord, the vision you gave me. That my father will bow down to me and my brothers will bow down to me. Lord, fulfill the vision now and make haste. Do it now. And you're still telling God what he should do. Have you called yourself? Or did God call you? If God has called you for this great thing, guess who's going to do the processing in your life? God himself. See, not one amen. The man at the pool of Bethesda just wanted somebody to put him in the water. He wanted to get to that water because he thought that would bring life into his life. And all that Jesus, who is the living water, wanted was to get into his life. At that place in your life, when God is busy melting you, you still want to tell God how it's going to work. You say, God, you know, Jesus, just pick me up and put me in the water. I'll be fine. Jesus says, it's not necessary for that. I can just tell you, get up and walk. It's a time of dying to yourself and say, God, be God. Do it the way that you want to do it. I'm going to stop instructing you in how to do it in my life. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, I've been in a melting process. After the melting process, it's the molding process. God is now ready to shape you. The wonderful thing in this molding process, God often uses 
the world and all of the things around it to frustrate you. Not to mold you, to frustrate you. But he uses the word to mold you and to form you and to shape you. Like I said to you, this person wanted to do me in. I wanted to get angry. It's the world frustrating me. But now I'm like allowing the word of God to mold me. To shape me. But many times we allow the world to mold us. Then everything comes from the world and we just want to put a fish over it and say, okay, it's now Christian leadership or Christian business or whatever. How can I explain it to you? In this time of molding, it's your character. You're a vessel that God wants to fill with every good thing. But your character has holes in. So now the good stuff is leaking out because of your character. Nobody's character is perfect. I don't even have a perfect character. I'm looking to Jesus and say, Lord, help me. We should have admirable character. Wanting to be like Jesus. Amen. Don't your neighbor ask them, has your character been leaking? Righteousness doesn't just happen. It must be built. If faith must grow, it must start at a weak place. Remember, why did God choose Jacob rather than Esau? Esau was the strong one. Esau was the one who knew how to go out, hunt a buck, kill it, prepare it. He could do everything. He was the man. But his brother was the deceiver. He was the schemer, always busy with things. And God says, this is the Jacob generation that will worship me. Why? Because Esau puts his trust in himself. I can do everything right. But Jacob is the one who knows I need God so much. Because I'm messing up the whole time. I'm always busy with plans. Even though God told me it's going to be mine. He just has to make sure he takes his first right away from his brother. Remember he did that. Always busy with things. But he got to a place where God had dealt with him where he said, I'm putting my trust in you, Lord. God had to mold him. Remember, God molded him on his hip a little bit. That after that, you could see he was molded in a certain way, the way that he he used to work. And the last part, God fills you. You don't put in your personal request and say, Lord, fill me. You say, Lord, your will be done. Your will be done. Fill me, Lord, with your goodness, but your will be done. Not my way, Lord, but your way. And at that place, you walk in humility and sincerity of heart. God's power is displayed in his own time and in his own way. I'm telling you now, when it's that time, the gift of faith will enter your heart. And you just know, now we're going to build God a house. You don't have any doubt in your heart right now that we're going to build God a house. Am I right? But when we started with that, there was no money. And God is still just providing step by step. But faith has entered into our hearts and we can take that step of faith every time. Just say, Lord, let's move on. Lord, okay, now we're going to start this week. We're going to do the internal foundations. And you're moving. And God continues to fill us. 
the key, I want to close with this, the key in remaining filled with the Holy Spirit is obedience. Obedience to God's word, God's plans and purposes. If you know God's plan for your life, you can rest. You do your best at all times, but you'll see God will do it. There'll be a force from heaven that will just come and support you and help you. The Holy Spirit working in you and through you. The greatest gift is righteousness. The gospel is about righteousness. Us finishing with righteousness. God loves righteousness. To finish strong one day and to stand before Jesus, you need character. Why? Because the day that you close your eyes and you breathe out your last breath, in your heart must only be righteousness. What I mean, there must be no offense in your heart, no unrighteousness in your heart. That's a great challenge. That's why you have to train your heart concerning righteousness. Not to get offended. That's why every part of your life is a process. I said last week, the quickest way you get into a process of dealing with your heart is you get married. Marriage is a process. Marriage is a process. But the truth is, in this relationship, because you're so close to each other, it's easy to offend each other. It's easy to offend your children. It's easy for your children to offend you. And we have to allow God to work through that process in our lives. The greatest gift God has given us is righteousness. Let's walk in righteousness. Let's plant righteous seeds. Let's allow the righteousness of God to form and shape our character in every area of our life. This is a process that will go on Till the day we close our eyes and our bodies are glorified. Hallelujah. Thank you for listening to this audio sermon. For more information, please go to our website, www.hoc.org.za. Household of Christ. Loving God. Loving people.